Maybe that's a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? Perchance, for interest's sake, a deadly game? To the game. Do you want to know what it is? Hade du tyckt om mig ändå? Vill du bli ihop med mig? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Inside Movies Galore. I'm your host, David Stregg, and here uh, we have another film discussion here, and uh, uh, we have a uh, another host uh, that is taking over. Jake, why don't you let us know what is on the agenda for tonight? Well, very good. I'm Cody Bookie Jake, and of course we're uh, joined here with the usual group here. We got, you know, Dave hey. and Dane. Hello. Hey, I guess. <laughs> and, Bra and Brandon. Hello. And Katie. Hi. All right. 
And we are looking tonight at the film, uh, the 2008 film, Let Den uh, or Let the Right One In, which is a Swedish film directed by Tomas Alfredson. And it's written by the author of the book on which it's based, John Advig Lindquist, which uh, is kind of cool that we followed two weeks in a row, a movie based on the book, written both written by the author. <laughs> Very different movie from Princess Pride, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, very different. And um, so, and of course, there will be spoilers. Uh, be aware of that. <laughs> and um, so, do anyone have a burning desire to do a synopsis, or um, should I just do the, the brief little one I had? Hit us, Jake. All right. <laughs> I actually like the one line thing they have on IMDb. Oscar, an overlooked and bullied boy, finds love and revenge through Ellie, a beautiful but peculiar girl. Uh, that's the ultra-simplified version, but basically this is a film about a bullied kid who is becoming uh, kind of a warped individual already, who gets a new neighbor who is very mysterious and only comes out at night, and there's a corresponding rise in disappearances and murders. Um, so, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> So, let's see here, I guess we'll I wonder see. who it could be. Yeah. <laughs> so, basic uh, plot, um, well, I mean, that's most of the plot, is he goes into these two, find each other, she tells him, I cannot be your friend, and eventually becomes his friend regardless. <laughs> and... Um, you got, uh, it's not really a plot-intensive movie. It's more about character development, I think. Does anyone have any uh, 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 disagreement or uh, things you really want to add on the plot? I think, I'll agree. I think I'll agree with that. Um, so, yeah. for the people who haven't quite inferred it, uh, the rest of the premise is that, um, so he meets this, so he's a he's like a he's a young kid, and he meets like a young girl who turns out to be a vampire, and so that's pretty much it for the plot. It revolves around um, like her caretaker, like killing people for her, so he so she can drink their blood. Uh, sometimes she goes out herself and and catches people, and then the rest of it is about uh, our main character, like this kid, and like the friendship that he and eventual, I think, relationship that he has with her. So, and it's a fairly straightforward story, but there's there's a fair bit of depth to it, depending on... It's a very moody film. Indeed, like, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bleak film in a lot of ways. Right, in some way. Although, it's the, uh, the behind-the-scenes that comes on the DVD. The director, um, the director claims it has a happy ending. And I'm kind of like, oh, that is a happy ending. Like, I was sitting there like, ah, and I think I actually said out loud, I love a happy ending. Oh, it's so not happy, though. (laughs) (laughs) I was having a great time. What are you talking about? I thought it was happy from Oscar's perspective. 
Well, there's there are shattered corpses, and it's great. But like he's doomed to this that same life as that caretaker who came before him, which was probably another twelve year old boy sixty years mm. earlier. In the uh, in the American, in the American version of this, they actually make that pretty explicit. Um, really? That's who that old guy was. Um, right. But it seems like it seems like the boys kind of accept it. So. Well. The way I look well, at it is that uh, men will put up with a whole lot to be with their special ladies. Is that good? I was yeah. gonna say I feel like uh, at that time the way that the movie at least presents it. I've never read the book, but uh, the way the movie presents it is it feels like she really was using him in the end in some aspect just because she needed a new caretaker. <laughs> well, and he obviously couldn't stand up for himself, so he needed her too. Yeah, and she tried to. She did leave him like for a while, and it was kind of a good thing. She, good that she came back when she did. So he spent. What? Her timing was impeccable. <laughs> he sensed uh, this young vampire Ailey. Uh, reminds me of the, uh, um, the the young vampire in Interview with a Vampire. Where she, she's stuck at that uh, that repetitive age of like Claudette, uh, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I thought about that. I thought about that too. Uh, and uh, film that this reminds me of is uh, has anyone heard of a film called Orphan? No, I, have, I haven't seen it. Okay, yeah, I've seen it. That's been a long time. Well, that one has uh, has a very young girl who's actually like in her like. 60s or 80s or something like that and she just uh, she goes from uh, adoptive family to, to adoptive family <laughs> but because she has a disease that way where she's just young forever yeah so, well, it's kind of like uh, if we ever get around to our mermaid's car discussion that little kid Masato but um I did, think, I did think of the interview with the vampire idea, but there is a major difference, and that is that in that one, the vampire was surrounded by very adult individuals, was forced to really grow up over the years, you know, but this one has managed, I guess she's more secluded, she's, she's maintained a level of innocence somehow, not, clearly not innocent but you know what i mean like she's she's not the other one almost seems like a little monster <laughs> she's still she's still somewhat childlike uh, compared to claudette because i mean i did read i read interview with a vampire uh, for a class once and so i remember lines from claudette where like when they when they would talk about her um it was like her mind would keep developing even though her body didn't change and there's one point after i don't know how many decades with lestat where she's like, you know, why didn't you turn me when I was a little bit older? Because she's jealous that, like, all the women there around are, like, developed as women while she's still, like, physically a child. And so I was kind of thinking of that while I was watching this. Yeah, that would be incredibly hard, I think, to be stuck in, well, whatever form you are in. Anyway, that would be hard, but especially if you're a child, because you may mentally be much older than that obviously centuries old so you've seen 
a lot of what there is to experience in the, you know, human world and all that, but uh, at the same time, you are physically stuck in a shell that cannot age, and so therefore you can't get close to anyone, and it just it would be a miserable life. And this would be probably a good time to talk about what we were talking about right before we started with the uh, an element that's hinted at in the film but was more explicit in the book that apparently Ellie had been... It, it, there's a couple points in the movie where she asks Oscar, what would you do if I'm not a girl? And the implication is kind of, well, okay, she's a vampire, she's not really a girl, but, you know... Supposedly, she wasn't even a girl before she was turned, and that, like I said, it's only hinted at in the film, and that one scene that is kind of going to bother a lot of Americans uh, is is the, the only, the closest you come to confirmation of that in the film, I think. Yeah, which... Um the um the novel which i have not read and i would like to um states that I just read this online that states that she was born a boy and was emasculated by a cruel vampire lord and so now lives as a as a girl and um you know it's i felt like that was um that added a lot of dimension to that character, and it's, you know, that that kind of stuff, no matter what age the person is, um, for Americans, that's very hard to swallow, and I don't think it should be, just because that kind of stuff, as horrible as it is, does happen in the real world, you know, where people get, you know, their um, genitals mutilated, and they, you know, get, they go through such horrible, you know, kind of experiences like that. Um, they're circumcising babies in hospitals every day. As we speak right now, genital mutilation's happening. Yeah. Well, but you know what I mean. It's like the um, people um, go through that in real life. And, you know, it's just, um, I think a lot of people don't want to think about that even in the context of a, you know, horror film. But it's just... I don't know, but I felt like that really, you know, gave a lot of richness to that character beyond the usual vampire, uh, you know, the, the gravitas that would come from someone being a vampire, and, uh, you know, that would be a lot to go through, and it would be a lot for someone like Oscar to go through to discover that, and to not really know how to feel about it. Well, conversely, I would argue that that in my head canon, I'm going to just ignore all that because that kind of ruins the entire thing. Why? <laughs> like, ah, uh, because I, I view this as like a, a love story between like these two characters. Um, yeah. And yeah. like that whole backstory just. Just. Yeah. It, like, just like, it just like throws that off. Well, it can still be a love story. I yeah, just I thought it. I thought it was. There are two yeah. people who need each other. Yeah, oh, love, love takes a, I mean, I think that, honestly, the thing I took away from this story was that love takes unexpected forms, and, you know, in this case, it's someone who obviously cannot get close to anyone for very long because she outlives them, and then someone else who 
is well on his way to becoming a, you know, sociopath, basically, um, who is perfect to be a vampire slave, obviously perfect candidate, except that I, I do think that there is more to it than just that, because she obviously has gone through her fair share of slaves, um, you know, over the centuries, um, but I do think that she has more of a connection with this kid just because he exhibits a lot of the characteristics of a good vampire slave in that he will kill for her and does seem to be devoted to her and not bothered by the obvious stuff like her killing and, you know, having to drink blood and all that kind of stuff. Um... You know, so I do think that there is a little bit more to it than that, but the point is that even even with that backstory in place, I think that it uh, just shows that, you know, if love is meant to be, then it can overcome, you know, a lot of different uh, people that... People in relationships at last, they tend to come to those relationships with a lot of baggage and scars, and the ones that last are the ones who are able to look at all that and say, you know, I can live with that. And, uh, you know, I think that's ultimately what it's about. Uh, well, I mean, I didn't... Um, well, all this stuff from the book, like, I mean, I didn't get that kind of impression at all. Um, but if that's, uh, if that's how it happened in the book, I guess, then... Hmm. Well, what did you think it was? I mean, I thought it was just like a romance story between like these like two kids. I mean, just one happened to be a vampire. As um, opposed to what? As opposed to like, well, the way you frame it, it sounds like this like purely predatory like thing where, you know, like she just, it's like, she just like picked him. And it's like, oh, I need a replacement soon. Uh, that guy. All right, great. And oh, no, that's not, not, that's, that's not at all. That's not at all how I phrased it, honestly. That's um, I think that that's um, appropriate for the relationship that she has with her first caretaker, because you know she she and Oscar they both have very little empathy for others, um, except that I think that they both connect in the sense that they are lost souls. Um, but obviously, he is the more subservient to her, just given the nature of the fact that he doesn't really stand up for himself and also that, um, you know, he, in doing so, he fulfills that classical role of the vampire slave, you know, which, and that, that, that is one little complaint I will have about this, at least in the movie form, is that if you don't really know a lot of the familiar vampire tropes, then you might be a little bit more confused than necessary, but I, well, I mean, I, I didn't really get a vampire slave vibe from this. Like, with the first well, guy, it's like he's doing it because he wants to. Well, well that's, that's, that, like, that's, that the that's the role that he's playing. I mean, vampires have, typically they have, you know, at least one human that they keep around to help them, you know, get victims and help them to... Oh, when, I, when I hear vampire slave, I hear, like, thrills. You know, like, almost zombie-like... I got the, I got the feeling that the um, the older man that came with uh, with Ellie um, was in was in fact and could not help himself to help her in the things that he uh, that he did and I believe over time over the time that he spent with her beforehand even though we didn't see that backstory 
uh, very, very much, I believe that he grew a conscience. I, I, I believe that he grew a conscience and st started to actually care about the, th uh, the people that he killed because he was kind of dragging the bodies around like, uh, do I have to do yeah, that? It yeah. did sort of seem yeah. like that. I'll agree. Well, actually, um, I'm scared of it. That was the impression I got, too. Real, real just just can't do it anymore. Exactly. How many victims must I do for you, Master? I I thought that he was just... Uh, well, that's that's an interesting interpretation. I was kind of wondering that if he was just dumb, or if he had, was just not that good at it, or, or what. You know, because it seems like Oscar would be a lot smarter about how to do that, because he was... Uh, the, her first character, he was just killing people out in the open, and it was like, come on, man, these are rookie mistakes, you know? Yeah, I think that he kind of wanted to get caught. I mean, that's the one I was feeling towards the end. Is there's almost that feeling that I'm done with this at this point. Yeah, that's that was the only thing I was thinking. I was like, maybe he wants to get caught. Yeah, I was think I got the impression that he was kind of tired of it. Like he had been doing it for so long that he started being he started putting like less and less effort into it. Was sort of the feeling that I got. Like the first guy, like in the park, it's like okay. Uh, there's a dog, uh... I, go away, dog. <laughs> it did seem like he kept being in situations where it's like, dude, couldn't you have planned better? You keep getting caught, yeah. aren't you any good at doing this? Yeah, he, it I, just seemed like he was giving up. Well, I, I was, was gonna, gonna say this, he'd been doing it for like 50 years, and he was like, yeah, this is good enough, whatever. <laughs> well, I, was gonna, I was like, this this guy clearly needs to take Ted Bundy lessons on how to do this kind of thing right, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I got the definite impression that he had, um, that he still kind of, that he cared for her, but he, uh, kind of, he, uh, he had kind of gotten to a point of giving up, um, just kind of like, you know, I'm just kind of this guy that's like a noose around her neck kind of at that point. That was the impression I got, that he felt more like a, a weight than a valued companion, you know. So that might have been what, you know, why he was getting sloppy. Uh, this might be a good point to actually get into the, the actual character-by-character character descriptions. Uh, and I guess um, we're talking right now, of course, about Hakan, Hokan, however you pronounce that. It's played by Pro Ragnar in the film. Uh, and was played by Richard Jenkins in the remake. Uh, but yeah, he's kind of, what do y'all think of like his, uh, what ended up happening with him? What ended, how that ended up playing out? Which one was he? The caretaker guy. He dumped acid on his face, like to conceal his yeah. identity or whatever. Yeah, and yeah that was cool. gnarly. That, that was cool might effect. have been my favorite of the whole movie, just how that played out. It was pretty, yeah. That was the scene that I was like, oh, okay, I probably won't show my kid this movie. Yeah, that, that, that was a nice yeah. effect. Who knew people had seen him with Ellie, so that's why he did it. Right. Which, it's, it's funny that he had enough sense to do that, and yet he couldn't, you know, drain people's blood out in, the, in like, a concealed private place instead of out in the middle of the park where the passersby can find you. Well, he was trying to do it in, like, that apartment or whatever it was, but, like, that dude's friends came over, and it was like, well, we're not well, getting out of it. That was in, like, the school locker, or, like, like, the locker room, I thought, you know, but... I wasn't sure exactly uh, where they were. 
Yeah, even then it was like he could have kept the guy under for longer, could have, you know, gagged him or something. I mean, he, he slit the guy's throat in the beginning, and it's like, you know, you could have done that pretty quick, and, you know, it could have been like a quick one and done, you know, five minutes to out of there. Um, but I don't know. But, yeah, he was a pretty, as far as uh, vampire slaves go, he was a pretty poor one. I think he gets enough. Well, I think that he was more he of a needs to, He needs to go back to school. Go <laughs> <laughs> back to murder school. That's right. He needs to take lessons from Renfield. basically has Oscar's future in a lot of ways. I mean, basically, once uh, she has used him up and uh, ready to spit him out, essentially... It's like you've done, you know, you you've been your usefulness, and now I'll need to find another younger one. And that's how I, that's how I took the ending of it was basically this is just another in a long line that the whole mm -hmm. thing had been set up for her to seek it out, and maybe even purposefully saying this guy is starting to dry up. I need to get somebody fresh. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um... I like, I like how everybody had, like, the ultra-negative take on what I thought was, like, right. a really happy and beautiful ending, but that's technically correct, just... And that uh, might be a good time to talk about the character of Ellie, played by Lamel Anderson. I I didn't take her as negatively as, as everyone seems to be. I kind of yeah. felt she had some lingering tenderness for that one scene where she finally kills her former caretaker i didn't see it as a purely bloodthirsty scene i felt it's like there almost, was a bit of, kind of gentle yeah yeah i i didn't have a negative impression of her at all honestly i thought she was uh far from predatory other than the obvious necessity of having to drink blood and all that but i mean just as a personality um, I thought that she actually was rather tender when it came to putting her first, you know, slave out of his misery. And then, yeah, I, I do think that she had an attraction of sorts to Oscar, you know, in the sense of, like, to um, broken people finding some kind of connection. Now, granted, he's going to still serve that role because that's just how these things work, but... At the same yeah, time, the necessity I do. of her existence. So exactly, but at the same time, I mean, I I never really got a sadistic, malicious vibe from her, which you often do get from some uh, kinds of vampires, because um, you know, just the very nature of being a vampire, it's like that rewards predatory master-slave kind of behavior. But I felt like she was, you know, quite uh, reserved and you know, not happy with how life, the, the hand that life dealt her, um, you know, and I can't exactly blame her for that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think the ending's very bittersweet in that sense, because you can look at it very bleakly, or you can look at it very happily, because, I mean, it is happy for the short term. Well, Who knows what's going to happen? sweet now. I, I who knows what's going to happen to him. view of it. Oh, I look at this film. I legit kind of mad, actually. Yeah. Oh no. I I look at this film a little differently because I don't look at it from the vampire uh, uh, standpoint. I look at it from 
seeing how the, uh, how the, uh, how Oscar was bullied. And, well, that's definitely a huge factor. I don't think this is the, the, the vampirism uh, or the vampire story that is being told around it. I think that uh, there is very mu much a, a display of bullyism in his school, his, his school with his with with his with his supposed friends. And uh, you know, it's the, never it's never really implied that they are actually his friends. Like they yeah, they're picking on him like really every time. Does a great job so of painting like a picture friends. of it paints a very good picture of uh, what this kid's everyday life is like and where his self worth is. So you know we kind of get an understanding that you know he is maybe fit for this role with. It brings up a very good point, which is that the director uh, and the author have both gone on record as saying that they don't really particularly care for vampire stories. The director actually did not want to do a horror film, but they framed it to him as a story about this kid being bullied and this connection between these two, and that was what got him to sign on and take an interest in the story. So definitely, from the standpoint of the directors and the or director and the writer, looking at it as a story uh, of a kid being bullied and finding a friend that has vampires in it could be considered. Yeah, the um, okay. so the water over there, isn't it? Well, I can definitely uh, see that, um, and also, um, the movie did remind me a lot of another Swedish film from 1985 called My Life as a Dog by uh, Lassie Hallström, which that's a great, great film. It's a similar My last setup. Name. Well, yeah, that's his first name, Lassie Hallström. <laughs> and... Um, the uh, it's similar kind of premise, no vampires or anything, but like the you know similar kind of two odd ducks, uh, who are of that kind of newly pubescent age, kind of finding each other and trying to navigate life and not being appreciated and being picked on that kind of stuff. So I could definitely see the similarities there. Um, and uh. Dustin, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ruin this for you even more because apparently uh, in the book, her first caretaker was a pedophile. And, um, yeah, that, that was kind of, that was something that kind of bothered, bothered me too. Because um, it was like, well, after a point, there would have to be, hmm. But I kind of just didn't think about it. Well, I, dealt with uh, it I dealt with it by not thinking about it too much. <laughs> Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, that would have been an interesting thing to explore, but I don't know if we would have had room for it in without making the movie at least a half hour longer. And ultimately, it would be rather extraneous to the larger um, theme, the larger story, which is these two kids getting you know closer together. But um, I mean, at the same time, it does kind of provide somewhat of a incentive for him to keep staying outside the first caretaker to keep staying outside of just the normal um you know vampire slave trope which is where they're usually uh put under some kind of either spell or they they feel that kind of addiction uh 
or they just are enraptured by the vampire and him or herself. I've seen, you know? I've seen True Blood. I know how this works. <laughs> right, or just even if the the guy, if we are to believe that the caretaker just doesn't have a will to do anything else, like yeah. I guess that's possible. Even if he's not charmed or whatever in his brain about it, you know. Yeah. He just, that's where his self-esteem is, where he wants to be. You know, perhaps it's a uh, a picture of, you know, uh, it's something that imitates life a little bit in certain ways. Uh, yeah. well, there is a, Oscar there, is a good example of, of somebody who could be that, definitely. you know, for the rest of his life. Well, and not only that, but, like, there are people in real life who will sign up willingly to do very strange, bizarre things, including, like, there are people who will, that are, like, there are some people who will, like, willingly be eaten by someone else, you know, and it's, like, they, and no one forced them to do that, they signed on for it, you know, so it's, like, there are people who will stay in situations that normal person would be like, why are you in this situation, but, mm. you know. <laughs> that reminds me of, uh, when, whenever I think of something like that, I'm reminded of that line from, I think it's American Wedding. It's like, and he even shaved his genitals, which would baffle most cultures around the world. Like, it's just like a running gag in that movie. Like, uh, the main character, like, does something ridiculous, and, like, his dad finds out about it. And every time his dad, like, mentions it, he's just completely bewildered that anybody would have had that idea in the first place. <laughs> So, yeah, that makes me think of that. I would think that uh, people like Evil Knievel or, or even Houdini or, or um, dare, uh, Daredevils of, of their, uh, of the, you know, over time, uh, these are people who will go out and do things daringly, you know? And and look no further than um, Alice Cooper and his wife. Uh, there's this great video about them, with them talking about their... Um, you know, about what has made their relationship last for so many years, and, you know, he summed it up as being, you know, that you look at the uh, this other person, and for all their flaws, all their, the worst aspects of themselves, and, you know, another per the other person says, I can live with that, and that's basically the same kind of situation here. Both characters see the worst aspects of each other, and it's okay, you know, and in its own, I think that's exactly it. Yeah, in its own, in its own messed up way, it's a testament to what makes love last: is that you see someone at their worst, and you're there for them anyway. And um, you know, it's an extreme example of that, but still, it's a, you know, it's a very night. It's a good, good message ultimately. And I think well, you have to decide if that means love to you or not, as the as the person watching it. Oh yeah, which I mean, to me, to me, I think that is a very good definition of true love is um, not only uh, being able to deal with the worst aspects of someone and not be turned away by it, but also like um, there's another movie called Amour, uh, which Michael Haneke did, um, and that is all about. Yeah, I love it. Very hard to watch, but a great film. But it's. Um, it's all it's all about that idea of like not only putting up with the worst parts of a person but also doing that which is 
so unbelievably difficult to do, like heartbreaking to do, uh, for the one that you love more than anything, you know, and that's kind of fits into this as well. But I, I think both of those things are what define, you know, a lasting loving relationship. And so again, extreme example in this case, but, um, like, Dean, we've seen you in that lipstick and that high heels. We love you though. That's right. Um, right. <laughs> but, yeah, but it's just, that's an extreme example, but it's a, it's a good representation of what that looks like. I just had a brief oh, comment on uh, I, just, love, I just had a brief comment on the Alice Cooper thing. It turns out he's like surprisingly normal and even likes to golf, which kind of takes away a lot of the fun, you know? No, I mean, that's he's great. He's yeah, super great. I know he's great. You just sort of wish he'd be like on all the time. Like, can you imagine how right. fun that would be if like that character was just out in public? Like, like you're at like Ralph's or whatever in California. And then just like Alice Cooper, like in the makeup, is like well, walking around, just going about his day. Sometimes that happens. That would also be ludicrous because he's It'd a be wonderful. I'll be honest. People at gas stations between here and Indianapolis, Indiana, if they've ever had two people dressed up like skeletons come in there at some odd hour of the day <laughs> to get, use the bathroom, like. Ryan and I, when we're out, like sometimes our makeup is on and we're out. I have no doubt that Alice Cooper's been out in his full getup or whatever. Like it does exist. That is not like a um, unicorn. Um, it really is. Well, that's I'm the world sure. I want to live in. I mean, I'm sure that it, that happens. I mean, I've, I've, you know, well, I've walked into stores in costumes and stuff. So I mean, it. Uh, it definitely happens, but it's also, like, the, the, the ones you really got to worry about are the ones like Bill Cosby, who look so, like, normal on the outside, but on the inside, they're really monstrous, you know, and, and that's why, like, I have a lot of respect for people like Alice Cooper, because they let it all out, and then you're like, oh, yeah, they're really nice and sweet and everything, and then it's, uh, you know, that's that's what I look for in a person is kind of the that which people don't expect, you know, and, um, again, I think that's what the movie's partially about, is that it's this relationship that defies a lot of the conventional wisdom. Well, for me, um, I think one of my favorite things, like, just in general, is, like, people that act completely normal, but have, like, a totally bizarre appearance. So, I mean, I, I find that, like, incredibly funny and delightful, like, pretty much no matter what. So I, I think that's kind of where I come from. Uh, so I think we've wandered a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, it was an okay wonder. We've done worse. So just real quick, uh, uh, as far as character, we didn't really specifically hit Oscar, but we've come back to him again and again. Did anyone have any, any additional thoughts on him? Yeah, Oscar, um, we've made some allusions to Oscar having kind of like antisocial or potentially dangerous like tendencies. Like early on, um, we see him like stroking like that knife. We've seen him like practice stabbing with the knife and it's like, okay, he's got some problems. And then you see like his bullies and it's like, oh, okay, I think I get why. Yeah, you do. But I mean, that, that was a good portrait of the birth of a, a sociopath, which, and let me also very quickly uh, get our definitions here. So soci sociopaths and psychopaths are similar, but they are not the same because 
well, several reasons, but not the least of which is that psychopaths are born and sociopaths are made. And it seemed to me like he was pretty clearly getting made into uh, a violent person. And so therefore I put him in the category of sociopath. Um, and also his lack of empathy, again, seems like something that's learned as opposed to something that is inborn. Um, but... Um, you know, in his case, yeah, I can definitely see where his sociopathic tendencies are coming in. And again, we, we in America, we tend to be way too timid to talk about that kind of behavior in children uh, in general, and especially uh, in a cinematic format, which is really too bad because we need, that's something that we need to think about, I think, all the time, because how else are we going to change it or help the situation? Um, but that's... Uh, you know, that was something that I think was very brave of this film to do, because not a lot of films are willing to do that. Um, and again, it's kind of in a similar situation to something like My Life as a Dog, because I remembered uh, one of my classmates was really off-put by some elements in that film, just because they were mature and, you know, the characters were 12 and all that, but it's like, you know, it's not like this stuff doesn't happen in the real world. You know, it needs to be talked about. Yeah, there's another movie that I just what is it Moonrise Kingdom is that oh, yeah. where the young a, couple kind of has yeah they have that, some that's a good one first encounters yeah and I think it's done really well you just made me think of that another yeah. aspect of the uh, character development that I think is worth noting is the uh, again I saw the, 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 there wasn't much in the behind the scenes but the director had a couple of things, insights, and one was he mentioned that the adults around these kids are not really all that aware, like they're, they, they notice things, but they don't really notice everything around them, and that part of the reason, you could say part of the reason why Oscar is becoming what he is, is because the adults who could be putting him on the right path are not really looking right at. Really, Ellie is like the only one in the film who really looks at him. You know, yeah. everyone pays him any attention, exactly. Like, I got that feeling, too. It does seem kind of uh, on that same line, it does seem like the adult authority figures, yeah, at least in the school, it does seem like they're played up for for laughs. Almost all, the other they reminded me of, like the, the the exercise guy, the swimming guy who goes out, fire, you know, at the end. Uh, in a weird way, he reminded me a lot of Mister Fond on uh, Bob's Burgers, or you know, like the well, the, a lot of the authority figures in here reminded me of characters that you would see on a show like Bob's Burgers, in the sense that they're portrayed as being. Uh, buffoons and just incapable of handling kids or uh, seeing two feet in front of their faces, you know, when it comes to bullying and, you know, abuse and that kind of stuff. And again, this seems to be set like uh, in an age that, you know, where teachers and parents didn't really pay attention to their kids as much, they just let them go out outdoors and didn't think nothing of it until, you know, until they started hearing about the murders and started, okay, let, let, uh, uh, let's bring the children in. It's, it's time. Yeah, that's that that a, cool. a good point about, about timing. Like, that's absolutely, I think, how it was in the 70s and to some degree in the 80s, too. Parents just sort of disconnecting from their kids. I mean, 
yeah, not to throw my own parents under the bus, but they were nowhere near as involved in my life as I am in my daughter's. They didn't know what was going on for me. We didn't talk about it. You know, I think that's um, perhaps uh, part of the, that time period for a lot, you know, this more aware parenting. Like, I think the way my parents grew up was like, their parents weren't that engaged, you know, it was in that time where it was like, yeah, kids just go out and run, seen but not heard, you know, all of that sort of thing. That's yeah, a, um, a generational it, thing. Go yeah, play with the lawn darts. Pretty much. My parents were really, really controlling, and, uh, you know, so, and they were of the baby boomer generation, so, I mean, uh, it just, I think, uh, in general, yeah, older parenting styles were much more hands-off, and then, um, you know, the, now the pendulum's kind of swung the other way to where kids pretty much can't go outside the house without being supervised or, you know, having tracking devices implanted in them practically, and so whatever they do, they go and they stay inside and... You know, as of course, that's with the advent of the internet and everything, and so it just becomes even more isolating. And this this film though is a period piece in that it is set during the uh, '80s, and that's why you see the um, that's why you see the cassette player and everything. Although um, I do like that it's not quite as um, in love with its period in the same way that, like, say, Stranger Things is. It's like yeah. it, the the setting is really very tangential to the overall story it could work at any time and that's that's how you know it's being done right right yeah i didn't even i didn't even realize this was set in the 80s because it's very it's very not in your face about it exactly and that's that's the way to do it because ultimately um any story that's worth hearing needs to be able to work more or less yeah, not in a vacuum but it's like the 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 themes of it resonate regardless of the time period that it's in, even though obviously stories are a product of their time and place. You realize the period in which Oscar and, and uh, young Ellie, uh, in fact, live. It's like, it's like in like a circular kind of a, a structure where you got uh, a, a building on one side and a building on the other, and it seems like they're kind of in a courtyard. Uh, <laughs> Yep, that's exactly what it is, a courtyard within a complex of right. apartments. Uh, so, in a sense, you get uh, you get that they're in, like, in a kind of a shut-off area, uh, like, within, uh, you know, these... Like a Soviet block apartment. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's really important for us to mention also that this is shot completely on over snow. Like, it's winter, it's snowy everywhere, and I feel like that the cold and the snow really adds an element to this, too. Yeah. Entirely ice cold winter, because when he when he dragged the body over to that little pool, uh, there was water. Well, well, keep, keep in mind, also, you said the, um, you know, Soviet bloc or whatever, um, this was in uh, Sweden, which is not, you know, a Soviet, wasn't a Soviet black country, but it, um, the point is, in Europe, they tend to have more close-fitting, uh, close-proximity kind of communal housing uh, than we do necessarily, even though we've got plenty of that too, but it's like the, 
the classical American model of the suburban home with the big lawn and everything like that's a very American construct and you know in well in England and other European countries they tend to be a little bit more closely populated I think because also they don't have as much just simple land real estate uh, to work with as we do but uh, yeah that's also just more of a cultural thing so I think that that can also play a factor into it like and the walls are very thin if you remember um in the apartment the walls are very thin um they're able to hear what the other person in the other room is is saying pretty easily and able to hear each other's morse code scratches and everything so yeah i think i think that that's also kind of a an aspect of it because um I've seen videos of people who've, like, taken trips to Vienna or something, and they're in, like, a three-star hotel, and it's, like, the room that they're in is practically a closet or something with very paper-thin walls, so, you know, again, that's important for the, the context of the whole thing, so it, it uh, feeds into that kind of closeness, paranoia, and isolation on top of the snow that's always there. It also is important for Oscar's uh, character in that he does learn Morse code in order to communicate better with Ellie, um, which you see them doing that through the walls, but you also see that in that final shot with her in the coffin. So that was pretty cool. Um, as far as the uh, the character, it, well, the, the apartment complex, uh, I guess the last thing to hit on character would be the group of friends who also live there, uh, the people like York and Virginia and Mock and all them. Uh, what did you all think of, of them? I guess the two that stood out for me were Virginia, who survives an attack, and the cat guy. I can't remember which one he was, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't seem to serve a whole much, a whole lot of purpose, uh, at least to me. Um, I, like, I like they're the just kind of there. I like the cat guy a lot because because um, uh, it's interesting because it's uh, there. There are some of those as far as uh, playing true to typical horror movie tropes, but then also not feeding into them too much. Like you will have those uh, nosy neighbor characters who know that something weird's going on over next door, and you know what do we do? Uh, you know. So this, that, that kind of character, except I like that it was a crazy cat man instead of a crazy cat lady. And also, um, I liked that you had um, the cats very clearly be able to sense that something was wrong here. Um, and especially given that uh, so often cats are seen as evil in the context of other gothic horror creatures like witches and that kind of stuff. But it's like, look at that, the cats actually can sense, you know, that something bad's going on and they're not going to lay down on the job there. I was like, go kitties. Um, and, um, yeah, so that was nice. Plus, again, subverting of the usual crazy cat lady uh, trope there because... My dad has said, you know, if he hadn't married my mom, that he would have ended up having a small apartment with, like, a ton of cats. <laughs> I thought that cat attack scene was pretty wicked. Yeah, yeah that, that, that was funny. freaky. Like, that uh, actually did make me chuckle. 
I like no, that a lot. I used, to, I used to work in an animal shelter with a lot of cats, and so I was like, yeah, cats, cats could do it, you know, like you, um... I remember something they told me in training, like, you don't call the hospital for dog bites, but you call, but you call, like, 911 for cat bites. Like, because cat bites are, like, a lot worse. They just don't oh, yeah. as much. That's interesting. Oh, yeah, I've good. had cats my whole life, and I've never had to go to the hospital for a cat bite. But my daughter yeah. got bit by a dog and had to get, like, six stitches. That's awful. It kind of depends on how bad the cat wants to hurt you. Well, my mom also got bit by a poodle when she was young, um, and I've I've had nothing but good experiences with cats, not only uh, and and you know and dogs, but uh, especially cats like uh, you know my cat or other people's cats. Like they're very, they tend to be very sweet to me. But uh, I think it's mm-hmm. mostly just just knowing how to handle them, and obviously they don't take kindly to vampires. So you know, if you're a vampire, all of them. Well, if you're a vampire, stay away from cats because they will not mess around. But uh, in general, uh, I've known cats to be very, very sweet. But uh, maybe I just have good luck. It's like that movie uh, Skin Crawlers, I believe it is, the the Stephen King film. Sleepwalkers? (laughs) Sleepwalkers, thank you. I was trying to think of the name uh, where the cats are considered the, uh, of course, bad guy, and uh, they end up uh, overcrowding their lawn, uh, trying to hunt them down. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I have seen the poster art. So, <laughs> as a uh, as a big time lifelong cat lover, I always get sick of seeing the cats as the villains trope. You know, in especially in children's films, but like it's nice in this movie to see cats, you know, serving the role that dogs typically do in movies about ghosts, where they can see the ghost and no one else can. But like here. The cats know that there's a vampire, and they know that that means to attack. So it's like good for you, cats, and good for you, filmmakers, for showing that cats don't always have to be the evil ones. More cats, so cats. I know the cat scene was one of the more technically involved parts of the film. What were y'all's overall impressions of the effects, the makeup, all that kind of stuff? I thought well, the cat I... scene looked. Oh, go ahead, Kitty. I just wanted to add a little interesting tidbit that I had learned um, in doing some research about the CGI in this film, that um, the most of the CGI was actually used to change the size of people's eyes, mm. either make them bigger or smaller by like 10% in order to um, sort of send a subtle subconscious message to the viewer that something was off. Or, you know, just by using eyes as a form of expression and by making them bigger or smaller and how that would affect how they were viewed. I thought that was a really interesting technique and something I had never heard of being done before. Huh. I actually did notice that some people's eyes were bigger or smaller than others in a atypical fashion. Um, which, speaking of people's appearances, very quickly... Um, Ellie seemed to have, like, really strange eyes, so I guess that's why, huh? That, that and also, um, this is more of a casting thing, but I did kind of feel like, um, with uh, Oscar there, that his appearance matched more of the conventional vampire look in the sense that he had, like, those... Uh, eyes that look like the it looks like he hasn't slept in a long time, really pale skin, kind of that uh, 
even the detached, look. detached look, you know, uh, and then uh, the most uh, yeah, foppery. And then uh, Ellie, um, the only really clue would have been her the, just her dark hair and everything. But other than that, you know, there wasn't really much uh, to denote her vampiric nature. Um, so I thought that was actually kind of a nice twist on everything that our human protagonist looks and acts more like your conventional vampire for most of it. So I don't know if anyone else felt this way or not. There were a few shots where she reminded me a lot of Elijah Wood, and I have seen him play some pretty creepy characters. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It's the aggressive face and eyes. Like, I guess it took them a year to cast the boy and girl because they were trying to cast them as a pair and see how they worked off of each other because what they were going for was a yin and a yang, basically, with these two characters. And um, they, you know, obviously they eventually found it in the girl, but what they were looking for was specifically um, facial expressions because of there being such a little dialogue. They wanted to, these kids to be able to portray emotion and feeling just through their expressions on their faces, which lends to why they were also changing the size of their eyes to in certain scenes. Well, and that's that's how that's that's good that's good casting and that's good acting because again, the words themselves, at least to me, the words themselves are not really what's important. It's always what's behind the words and what's in between the words. In this case, you know, because uh, what they ultimately say to each other is not all that profound uh, in and of itself, but you know, it's it's the the expressions and the noises and the looks in between the words that I think really sell their relationship, and uh, you know that that's a testament to those actors and to the casting because those two actors had really good chemistry. Yeah, they played really well together. Absolutely, like you could see even yeah, the, another good um, benchmark for. Any, any kind of movie with supernatural elements in it of any kind or anything out of the realm of the ordinary, the, I find a good rule of thumb is if nothing supernatural or extraordinary was going on in this story whatsoever, would you want to watch a movie about this person or these people? If the answer is yes, then uh, you've probably got a good story going, got a good, you know, got a good movie there that's not dependent only on the gimmick that you're trying to push. And um, in this case, the, uh, the character relationships are strong and the necessary chemistry is there to where I think even if it wasn't a vampire story that it would work, you know, and it would be interesting to watch. Yep. I would agree with that. Yeah. So they even um, they even kind of make it a little bit ambiguous in the beginning as to what kind of story it's going to be. Like we don't get like but vampires shot at us right away. And that's actually one of the reasons why in my intro I was kind of coy about it because it actually is a reveal in the film, and and it's also noted on IMDb they only say the word vampire once in the entire film. But it's it was promoted. It was it was sold as a vampire film. It was definitely it's it's like the spoilers there in the advertising. But if you're actually watching the film, it is kind of a slow reveal, and I kind of like the way they did that a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's 
some little things that I... I don't know if I would say that I didn't like, just things that I observed that were noticeably different than how American films were made, for better or for worse, um, one of which is that it did kind of move a little bit slow. I think that it the pacing could have been increased such that the movie could have been like an hour and a half as opposed to like almost two hours. And yeah, it would quite really, long. Yeah, you, could, you wouldn't have missed anything. And again, that's that's purely just because of... American cinema tends to be a lot faster paced, and I I do tend to uh, like movies that take their time. It's just uh, this movie was just a hair bit slow, so I might have increased the pacing just a teensy bit, not too much, because you do want to preserve those great performances. Um, so there was that, but then also because I am familiar with so much of vampire lore and like the whole um, you know needing to be invited in, uh, you know, I mean, it was, that part, I think, was fleshed out for people that don't really know much about vampires, and I don't think that it's completely unfriendly to people that don't know anything about vampires, but at the same time, I think you get your full enjoyment by knowing about, like, the fact that vampires, when they become vampires, then they stay stuck at whatever age they're at, or the being invited in thing, or taking a a slave uh, to help them find victims, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the movie doesn't explain the lore all that much, not that it really needs to over-explain it like a lot of movies do, but uh, I can already tell that if you were not really into vampires all that much, I don't know if it would necessarily sway you. Well, I think maybe they did it that way because at this point, like, culturally, like, so many people know about those tropes that it doesn't yeah. really need to be laid out, laid out. so uh, I don't yeah, think that's really a problem with the Yeah, you don't need to over-explain it, I'm just, I was more thinking about how the movie itself got a pretty rave uh, reviews and everything, and it, you know, I think it, they were largely deserved, I was just more thinking about how... I, well, then this is me personally. I didn't really find it scary per se, but at the same time, that wasn't really what was holding me. You know, what was holding me was the the love story and the just growing up aspect of it. Well, I think. Um, um, oh, go, go ahead. Okay, so yeah, I think we're definitely kind of running into some of the more generalized stuff that. Uh, kind of, I guess, would come a little later in the... Um, I did want to at least hit on the uh, artistic aspects of the film before we get into that general discussion. Um, so I guess no one's really had much to say on effects. What about the music? Did anyone... I liked it a lot. I liked the way that it was kind of um, almost an odd bit in a way because it was... Operatic, kind of? Kind of or? Yeah. I kind of like that. Um, Everyone else thinks. I thought it was good. Very dramatic. I like the music at the end. That was well used. Yeah, it had a a sense of of darkness and and drama to it. I think pathos is the is the word I would probably use. (laughs) Yeah, pathos, gravitas, um, a lot of synonyms there. But yeah, the, the music was great. Um, I didn't really notice it at many other points during the film. 
But this didn't seem to be a terribly, like, music-heavy one. No, there was a lot of quiet moments in this one. Right. I think I read a comment, actually, the scene where Ellie comes in uninvited, I think the director commented that they originally had music there, and they didn't think it worked dramatically, so they took it out. Like, it it worked really well the way they ended up doing it in the final film, I thought. It was a really good scene, uh, effective scene. Uh, Yeah, the the exact quote was that they said that it was American in a bad way, and I I can definitely see what they're saying, because in America we tend to not trust the audience to appreciate a moment and to appreciate... Uh, something significant without a musical cue telling us how to feel and that uh, often reeks of not trusting your audience and the fact that there was no music there it helped to sell it a lot better than music would have. Yeah, I liked that scene because, I mean, that's a trope that the vampires have to be invited in but I can't think of very many things where we actually see why, you know, what happens if they're not invited and they try to come in anyway. Like, in True Blood, they're just thrown right out the door. Like, they just popped <laughs> out in the wind tunnel. Actually, that, okay, and that is one reason why I kind of wanted to uh, come back to that in just a moment, but I guess we're there now. I forgot, and my apologies, I forgot when we started to go around and ask everyone's impressions of the film. Mine are actually tied up in that, so that's why I wanted to, to talk about that all at once. But um, if uh, if y'all wanted to go ahead, I guess we could combine, like, since we skipped that at the beginning, talk about, like, your first impression, whether this was a first watch or whatnot, but also go ahead and do the favorite scene or favorite aspects if that works do that yeah, all that's all okay. go for okay. it so um well uh, dustin why don't you do that first <laughs> uh well um so i saw the american version three or four oops, sorry about the loud noise there so i saw the uh the american remake a few years ago and i thought it was pretty good and then I saw this original version of the film tonight. Uh, turned out I'd had it on DVD for like two years, and it was just in the pile of stuff I hadn't watched yet. <laughs> um, I mean, I thought it was pretty good. Like, I really enjoyed it. And I would say that the original that we watched and the American version are pretty comparable. Because um, I didn't remember... I remember there being like some differences, of course, but I think overall you get about the same quality story. Um, the This one is just like a little bit more, I want to say artsy, um, in terms of like yeah. how it's shot. So plus there are like a, a handful of like cultural things I didn't really catch too. Um, it's more European and it's uh, pacing and it's production quality. Definitely. Um, and as for favorite scene, so I kind of have two. Um, so, I think my first favorite scene is when, after Ellie's told, told Oscar, it's like, you know, next thing I ask you, hit them back. Um, and then they're all, like, out, like, ice skating or whatever, like, on a field trip, and the boys are like, you know, I'm gonna come over there and push you over. Well, if you come over here, I'll hit you with the stick. And the boy's like, you won't do it! And he just, like, hits him with the hockey stick, and, like... (laughs) 
the kids like and, like bloods everywhere like i i love that because it's like well you were warned <laughs> um and then uh the scene at the end uh where ellie rescues him from that kid and what i think was his older brother so uh the bully and his brother and like some of their friends um they like hold oscar like they hold his head under water in a swimming pool and it's like so if you stay down for less than three minutes we're gonna stab one of your eyes out and so it's like well he's dead and then like the boys like body parts start falling into the pool and she's like hi like and it's like yeah she's back and i was i really enjoyed that and the one boy who hasn't been like dismethered is just like crying in the corner <laughs> like, I, I loved that that was great um uh, so it's, it actually sort of ties into I know a lot of people hate the Rob Zombie Halloween remake, but my favorite scene in that is where, like, as a child, Michael Myers surprises that bully in the woods and just beats him to death with that stick. Like, yeah. I loved that scene, uh, because it's, like, something that... It's something that you're like, you know, why don't more people do stuff like this? You know, like, it just makes sense. Uh, yeah, um, so, I, I enjoy those scenes for that reason. Psychological intimidation, which I, I liked his remakes. I actually liked his second one better than the first one, but... I liked them both. Yeah, they're, they're not original series caliber, but they're decent for what they are. But anyway, um, I, I have not seen Let Me In. I would like to, uh, after having seen this, and... Uh, yeah, this is my first time seeing it uh, just a few minutes ago. And um, my favorite scene, um, or overall impressions, it was, it was quite, I think it was very good. It wasn't, uh, I don't know if it was necessarily, you know, the, I remember it was, uh, Roger Ebert was saying it was the best modern vampire film. And, uh, I, th I guess I looked at it so much as like a young love kind of story that had a vampire theme to it. Um, and uh, so in that sense, I mean, it wasn't, I don't think it was the best vampire movie in the sense of it being scary or, or visceral or anything, but it was in terms of a, you know, small scale human story, um, you know, which I always like those, but um favorite scene on that level is probably where she comes in and snuggles with him at night just because um well there's a lot of very good character stuff going on there because it's the kind of the young love aspect of it um and also there's the just the fact that that's so unlike what a normal person would do and she also didn't fully wipe her mouth off so she still got uh, some blood on there, but he also doesn't turn around either, because uh, I guess he's partially embarrassed uh, that she's not wearing anything underneath, but also, you know, kind of like thrilled but scared at the same time, and, you know, wanting to have it go, um, you know, somewhere deeper, but also not wanting to push it too far, uh, further than she's willing to go, and it's also her confessing that she wasn't really a girl, and you can take that multiple ways because she isn't really a girl mentally, let alone uh, having been born one physically. You know, so it works on multiple levels. But um, I think that that scene, I think, kind of sums up the movie in a way just because it's very unconventional. It's very, uh, 
it's a scene that I think people in America probably wouldn't shoot, um, and yet it doesn't feel exploitive in any way. It feels very just real and human and sweet. Tender, um, I think is the word you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, and um, and again, a lot of really essential character um, aspects are communicated in a very short amount of time. Uh, so, uh, Dave, what about your thoughts? Well, um, I'd first heard about Let the uh, the Right One In, believe it or not, from my fiance, and, uh, because she'd seen a trailer for, uh, for this original one, and, uh, you know, I, we saw it uh, through the copy that she picked up, and then I later picked it up myself. Um, my first impressions of it were not as grand as everyone else's. Uh, I wasn't a fan of it at first, but uh, over time, after seeing it a couple of uh, times and seeing it again um, just yesterday, again, I've grown to um, somewhat enjoy uh, this modern take on it, and I, I understand its value to the film community. Um, my, I guess my one of my favorite scenes. I would have to say the cats. I, I, I would have to say the uh, the cats jumping all over the la uh, lady and, and then bringing her to the uh, uh, the hospital after that. Uh, that uh, that was one of my favorite scenes, and. Uh, um, I'd have to agree with Dustin. That ending scene was just phenomenal. I mean, with the heading in the in the pool, <laughs> just spot on. So it's like, yeah, fuck these guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Brandon, your thoughts? Well, um, this, of course, is my uh, fourth time seeing it kind of evens things out because I've seen it twice in the sub and twice in the English dub. Uh, when I watched it last night, I was just like, my head hurts too much to read. Uh, so th this is uh, perfect. Um, and I've enjoyed it. I think, uh, actually, I think you were the one who first introduced me to this film. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was a very, uh, it was very surreal for me. Um, being introduced to it before, actually, the, um, the Chloe Grace Moritz one came out, uh, and, uh, almost unlike some, anything I had seen prior to at the time, so it was a, a very interesting experience the first time I'd actually seen it. Um, I do feel, uh, uh, I identify a lot with Oscar as a character, uh, which uh, is why I do agree with uh, Dustin on one of my favorite scenes being towards the uh, uh, ice skating, uh, where um, he finally uh, strikes back and uh, stands up to the bully, and of course uh, followed by, again, that scene at the pool, which I just thought that was very interesting and very uh, well done, where you just see the the carnage kind of spraying out without actually having to see the carnage, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, exactly. That particular scene, I don't think you really needed to see the carnage. I think, I think you needed to have it suggested. Yeah, and I think it actually works better um, that you're not seeing Ellie just, like, pulling arms off of people. You know, it keeps it kind of grounded. 
Yep. Hi, and Katie, uh, just your first time seeing this. What are your thoughts? Yeah, this was my first time. Uh, I don't even know if I remember ever even hearing about it. I, you know, I think I've heard the title thrown around here or there, but I, I didn't have a lot of expectations going in at all. And um, I tend to like the coming-of-age stories, and I also tend to like vampire stories. So I liked that it was kind of a combination of those two things. Um, and it, it held my interest. So, yeah, I thought it was a, a successful watch. I'm interested now maybe to see the American version and see what I think of that and maybe compare. Um, but my favorite part, I think, was probably... Uh, the scene with the caretaker at the end of his life when he's in the hospital. And I really dug the reveal of, like, the side of his melted-off face. That was really cool. And probably my favorite effect of the film. So, that was if, my favorite. Uh, if Two-Face were real, I imagine he'd look something like that. Yeah, um, <laughs> Yeah, I feel like the design's been done. Yeah. Alright, so yeah, maybe, uh, for me personally, this is a film that I've uh, seen a few times over the years. I've seen, uh, this is at least the third, maybe the fourth, and I know I've seen Let Me In at least once. <laughs> I think Let Me In was a really faithful sequel in a lot of ways, but they definitely Americanized certain elements of it. See but the, uh, the pacing being one of them, it's worth noting that the director of this is the same guy who did Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is a movie I thought had a glacial pacing. But it's yeah. definitely some pacing here. But the, uh, this, I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed to say that I was introduced to the film while reading a review for Twilight. <laughs> because... Yeah. I, because this came out the same time Twilight did. It actually had a limited American run for about two months and then got a full run wow. at the same time. Wow. And I remember reading a review where they said it was a shame that the vampire film everyone was going to see was Twilight. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like the critical consensus from the start was if you want to see a vampire film, go see Let the Right One In. <laughs> and I had actually wanted to pre-order this, but I never got around to it. I ended up purchasing it and watching it. But it's also worth noting that I watched it with my brother who does not watch slow films, does not watch subtitles, and he loved the movie. So, it does have broad appeal, which is cool. Um, but also, this is the part I wanted to mention as far as the folklore and stuff. I actually was not familiar with the idea that vampires had to be invited in. I don't believe that was in Bram Stoker, if I'm correct. It, it, was, not in, it was not in Dracula. It has been in uh, some other folklore, um, which the, the other, the, there's a lot of different things that people either you know, choose to talk about or not, you know, one of which is like, you know, running water, a hawthorn bush, uh, you know, silver, you know, th certain yeah. things that people do touch on or not. And some of the more common ones they do touch on, like, 
uh, not going out in the daytime because of the sun and, you know, that kind of stuff. They didn't really do uh, horror objects, but... Um, I think they did it in, uh, what was that? Uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, um, um, the movie. Uh, Jack Brewster. Fright Night? Fright Night. <laughs> They did it in Fright Night, where, where uh, you, you can't, uh, you have to be invited in. Um, I, I know they well, Fright Night until about a year ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> but the um, it, it, so it's notable for me because I really like that. You know, like I said, I one of my favorite scenes was the scene where she came in uninvited, and she like starts bleeding and bleeding, and then finally he's just he's like, "You can come in," you know, just that moment of. He relented, and he's like, "Please stop! Please stop!" You know, and that, yeah. was, that was a really effective scene, I thought. And um, I, I also do agree that I love that scene in the pool. I, it, I, you guys know, I'm not the fan of gore that everyone else hears. I love it when it's done just off screen, and that was what I liked so much about that scene. I felt bad that the one boy who really didn't want to be there was one of the ones that was killed, but. You know that he was still there. He, I know he was. He was alive. He was in the. He was in the benches, like weeping. No, the right. other kid, the, the 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 other kid that was more obviously didn't want to be there. I think he was the one that got beheaded. If I was no, he wasn't. That was like that was the dude's older brother who was like no, ringleading the whole. The guy who threatened to stab the kid's eye out was the one who got beheaded. What are you talking about? He was the one holding him underwater. There were three of them that had yeah. that. Oh, I guess I missed a corpse then. <laughs> it's hard to see them all, isn't it? I don't know, they all look alike. <laughs> one thing that no one mentioned yet that I did like, as far as the very little dialogue there was, the very little dialogue there was, there was one I liked, and that was there's two times in the movie where Oscar asks her, how old are you? And the first time she's like, uh, 12, about. <laughs> and the second time she says I'm 12 but I've been 12 a very long time mm -hmm. and I like the way that that was done I was like that was a pretty nice way of uh, communicating that so and also, yeah, I, I like that he uh, in that first scene I like that he doesn't really let her get off easy you know because people will try and give you the brush off with you know, weird answers to basic questions, and he doesn't let her get off the hook. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that says a lot about his character and also about the fact that both of them are, well, he especially, that he's just willing to cut through the superficiality, you know, that goes into a lot of first, you know, impressions. Um, and then uh, I, I think with... Uh, yeah, that that uh, gets further with the other relationship, or the relationship as it gets going further. Uh, oh yeah, I, I remember. Um, just very quickly, the um, interesting kind of reversal on the whole uh, vampires have to be invited in thing. If you saw Bram Stoker's Dracula, the Francis Ford Coppola adaptation. Um, I think that's in, the best Dracula, in my opinion. Yeah, that's that's a, one of my favorite movies of all time. But like, Agreed. what's cool about that is um, there, Dracula invites Jonathan Harker into his castle. He welcomes him into his space, and that's what um, Francis Ford Coppola himself was reminded of 
in The Godfather and in, you know, gangster, uh, gangster culture that, you know, the mafia doesn't typically do much unless you invite them in and, um, you know, or you allow yourself to be used by them, and then once they're in you, then they don't get out, and so, you know, it's kind of similar there, um, and in that case, it's more of uh, Dracula providing a very reasonable facade with which to get Jonathan Harker's uh, passive acceptance of that, so it's an interesting reversal on that whole notion, except, uh, there he's the literal gatekeeper, and here, you know, someone like Oscar is the gatekeeper of the physical space that the vampire has to get into. Yeah, and, and actually, I never really thought about that. It's like, you know, Dracula made him an offer he couldn't refuse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You see also that scene, and I do agree also, another scene I liked was the scene with the former caretaker, where she says, let me in, and he's like, kind of gestures that I can't say anything, but then he just goes to the window and lets her do what she needs to do. I, I do like that scene, too. I thought that was a really good scene. And the very end was really good, too. But anyway, I guess we probably, it's about time to, did anyone have any other really big stuff they wanted to comment on? Any other burning uh, issues or observations that we haven't gotten to? Well, the the woman who got bit and she had a rather burning issue uh, when they opened the blinds. <laughs> yeah, so um, one of Ellie's after her caretaker dies, like Ellie is out like hunting people on her own, and she bites somebody but isn't able to kill them before she's kind of chased off. And so we go through like a little subplot where that person becomes a vampire. And so they don't seem to quite understand, like, what they are or what's going on until, like, the very end. And so they're in the hospital bed, and they're in the hospital bed, and she's like, you know, could you open the blinds? You know, knowing, knowing what will happen. Uh, and so the guy opens the blinds, and she just immediately bursts into flames and dies. She figured that out remarkably quickly, um, despite being a normal person who I assume is not as well-versed in vampire lore as your typical horror movie person would be, but I could be wrong. Um, well, but, she, saw uh, the, she saw the bites on, the bites on her yeah. neck. Um, she realized she had like a craving for blood. She was like sniffing her own bandage. Yeah. Um, and then when she tried to, like, look at the lights, like, right after the attack, when she opened the window right after the attack, like, the sunlight was, like, painful for her, so she, yeah. she got a lot of pretty strong signs right away. No, also, yeah. she did see what she tried to eat or drink or something and started vomiting up blood, but they ended up taking that out. And I have a feeling, like, Dustin, you said earlier, you felt like a lot of those characters seemed a little extraneous. I haven't read the novel either, but I have a feeling they had a much bigger part in the novel, and they were probably scaled down for the film. And they, yeah, so that was probably where that is. I I can believe that. That makes sense to me. So I guess if we're all good to go, we should go ahead and do the the, the final go around, final closings. That sound good? Sounds great. Alright, uh, Katie, want to lead us off? Yeah, sure. I'm Katie Cadaver from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm a horror artist and plus-size alternative model, and 
burlesque performer and Trollmet with Troma Entertainment and Dead Girl with Dead Girls Dark Coffin Classics and the makeup artist for horror punk band Rap Bad Spider. And you can find me on all social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Patreon, all that good stuff. Uh, so look me up, Katie Cadaver. Oh, very good. Uh, Dane? I am Dane Kyle, independent filmmaker out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, I... This week, I'm going to be recording the commentary track for my segment of the anthology film For We Are Many, which will be debuting this year. Um, I'm in uh, my, my shorts, the uh, other shorts are included in other anthologies, which are going to be uh, Clown Exploitation and Driving Grindhouse, which have now been designated as Grind Exploitation 7 and 8, respectively. And um, I'm part of another one, Creepypasta the movie, and in the meantime, I'm gearing up to do a fifth short for a fifth anthology, uh, for the going to be shooting that this uh, Sunday, and then trying to get my uh, first feature going all the while, uh, just trying to get some, some interest on the uh, production level, uh, on the, in that way, hopefully it can uh, be produced on a decent... Uh, yeah, on a decently produ produced level. Very good. Uh, Dustin, you want to go? Well, uh, I'm a horror collector here in Milwaukee. Um, so I also have started a channel for my horror collecting, um, and that's at The Crypt of Horrors here on YouTube. I'm also on Twitter under The Crypt of Horrors, and I'm on Instagram with my collection at DHR Hunter, which very soon will probably be changed to, you guessed it, The Crypt of Horrors. <laughs> so uh, I'm a regular here on Inside Movies Galore, and you can also listen to me over at Pop Culture Weekly, also on YouTube. Um, some of my friends are putting on the Twisted Dreams Horror Film, Horror Film Festival here in Milwaukee in April, so uh, come check that out. Uh, we have Joe Bob Briggs! So... Uh, a, lot of, a lot of fun stuff that we do here. Uh, I'm also, at some point, working on writing some reviews for Inside Movies Galore. Uh, I just kind of have a lot going on, but it's something that's going to happen eventually. <laughs> so stay tuned across all platforms and dimensions. Very good. Uh, Brandon, where are you from? What you doing so far? Oh, yes. Uh, I a uh, YouTube channel called Sep and Send versus the World. Uh, we talk about all things physical media. Of course, it is Oscar season. So we are doing many Oscar-themed videos, top 15 lists, and occasionally reviews. There are no reviews that I know of this time, Oscar-wise. Of course, uh, we, uh, stay tuned. This week, uh, we are going to be airing our predictions uh, up on this Thursday for the awards, and uh, we even have an Oscar-themed pickup video this Wednesday night. So let's all have fun, and uh, hopefully next week we'll see how accurate our predictions really are. Uh, hey, thank you, um, and I'm Jake, and I also frequently guest on Septum Sin versus the World, uh, where you know. Occasionally have my own solo videos and also contribute, as he said, top 15s and 
uh, prediction video that we've got coming up. I also have a few videos on my own channel, Cody Buduki Jake, that just got posted recently. Very, very short. There will be more coming soon as it starts to warm up a bit. It is more of a nature theme channel. And um, in the meantime, uh, I actually got to uh, film a small role today, but it's for an instructional video. Probably never, you know, but still, I, I like to dabble in that once in a while. It's always fun to get involved in different production aspects. And um, that's all I got for now. And I'm going to hand it off to Dave to do his intro and also wrap us up for the evening. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, my name is David Stringy. I normally uh, host uh, Inside Movies Galore from time to time, but as you all know, everybody is involved. Uh, and uh, uh, lately I've been, uh, I've been actually um, getting our podcast re re ready for the, uh, uh, for the other um, avenues that we ha have gotten them on, um, and, uh, also, uh, uh, thanks to Brandon, I got a new cool kick-ass, uh, intro for my new, uh, new Delusions of Grandeur, uh, uh, uh thanks to some of my ideas, uh, uh, mixed with some of his editing expertise. Appreciate that, man. Not a problem. And uh, so definitely check that out. I did put it on my the toy box reviews, which uh, which was recently. I have I have a separate YouTube channel for my reviews now. Uh, and if it's okay with everyone here, um, I'm actually going to be setting up a totally different page for Inside Movies Galore, so that I can start. We can start mainstreaming the uh, the podcast as as i edit the um the uh intros in and the, the other episodes uh, uh from like two years ago up onto uh these other avenues so <laughs> um other than that um i know i'm i, I just uh, spoke to uh shanta i'm getting her um in, intro in so hopefully I, I get to hear back from her um, and, uh, go from there. So, um, everyone say goodnight. Good night. Like, share, and subscribe. Do it. <laughs> nice job, Kermit. Thank you. Nice job, Kermit. Thank you. Nice job, Kermit. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs>